This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right. Welcome, guys. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us back after lunch. I pray your Holy Spirit may lead us and guide us again. Um, and that will maybe get to some heart issues. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So for those of you who um, have been aware or haven't been aware, go to this website, punch in this code, and you'll be able to ask the questions or like someone else's question. Whichever question's on the top, those are the ones we're going to attempt to um, answer first. I'm going to introduce our panel. Um, over here, we have Dean Cullinan and Dorling Cullinan. If you could introduce yourselves a little bit about you. Here you go. Yeah. So, uh, this is my wife, uh, We have been married for. Oh, playing games. Yeah, so we have been married for um, a while. Um, <laughs> no, we've been married for almost six years. It'll be six years next month. Uh, we met when uh, I was 15 and Dorling was 13. Uh, don't try this at home. <laughs> and um, my wife was actually the one that brought me into the faith. Um, so we might, we might share a little bit about that when we're answering some of the questions. But that's, that's the gist. Do you have anything to add? We don't have children yet, uh, but we do have uh, two amazing cats. Yeah. <laughs> And next, oh, and these are the most fabulous couple in town. Um, Mike and Melanie Keon, uh, they've been super, super um, monumental for us in terms of parenting. We did a class with them. So um, it's been fabulous for our kids' perspective. So we wanted to have them on board to share as well because we really appreciate them. So if you want to introduce yourself a little bit. Um, I'm Mike, and this is my wife, Melanie Keon, and um, we have been married for about 27 years now, mm-hmm. and we have two children, uh, college age and high school age, a son and a daughter, and that's it, yeah. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so number one question at the top is, how do I know he is the one? I'm going to point this one to Dean and Dorling because they've been married for six years, but they started dating when they were 13 and 14, I think you said, 13 and 15. So I'm going to point this one to them. The question, how do I know that he's the one yeah. or she's the one? Or, he, or she's the one. I don't think that you do. Um, I don't think there's a one. I don't, at least I don't think that there's one out there for you. I think that you make the one. You choose the one. Um, once you've chosen someone, they become your one. And once you're married, they stay as your one. Um, God willing. Um, but the idea, the kind of Disney fabricated idea that there's one person out there in the world that you need to spend your whole lifetime trying to find um, is impossible to believe just purely from a mathematical perspective. There's seven billion of us. How are you going to find the right one? 
Um, so I think that that idea in itself is incorrect. And that what we really need to be looking for is characteristics, traits, values that um, will correctly collaborate with ourselves and our own values and make decisions from there. But you'll be disappointed, I think, if you're just waiting <laughs> for the one, because they may never come. You good? Yeah. All right. Um, I believe I found the one, uh, because we chose each other. We are now each other's one, and that's, as, that's, a, that's, all, that's all we need in that regard. So that would be my answer to that question specifically. Um, I was going to say, we were talking about this earlier. Um, yeah, we don't think there is the one, but also you just have to go by your non-negotiables, the things that you know you're not willing to budge on. And once you've gone with that and you've assessed the flaws and you've assessed the good things about them, and if you're like, you know what, I think I'm willing to tolerate this and deal with this for the rest of my life, he's the one. There it is. So there isn't like this magical thing that happens. You just have to look at what you have and if you are willing to go in fully for the rest of your life with that person. So when it comes to relationships, relationships specifically when you're thinking of your future spouse or current spouse, it's about character development. What's going to help you grow the most? And so for me, um, the moment I challenged God and said that I never wanted this, this, and this, and this, and this, he had all of the exact opposite for me, which is who I married. So when you say things like that, you, one, limit God, and two, you place yourself in a position where he's really wanting you to grow. And typically, that's where you need to be in a relationship, because he wants you to grow. And he wants you to grow together in him. So finding someone that allows you to do that together is the one. I would um, reflect that and agree with that in the sense that uh, when you are acquainted with numerous friends, um, sometimes you can actually think, could I grow with this person? And I think uh, one of, uh, I don't know what I want to say, it's, it's a litmus test, but one of the things that I had heard that I, my wife and I actually experienced was a travel situation. Um, I've heard it said, a friend I think of yours said once that if you can travel, what was the saying now, if you can travel with somebody um, for several days and not get at each other's neck, then you could probably grow with them. Especially when things come up uh, unexpectedly, plans don't go as well. If you're in a certain organization and you, and you see a characteristic of someone that reacts to crisis in a little different than you would, you know, is it someone that you can really grow with? Uh, because of growth. So they, uh, the title for this section was The Morning After. Um, it's more growth. It's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just a quick point as well. Just because someone, m maybe there's someone in your life and like this person is the one and you've seen all of those things line up and you, they tick every box, you're happy, you're comfortable, you believe that God is leading. That doesn't mean that they're going to stay the one. <coughs> Uh, just because you've entered into a relationship doesn't mean that you need to drag it the whole way to the altar and beyond. Um, so keep analyzing. 
too often we analyze at the beginning and we make a decision, yeah, this is the person I'm probably going to be with, probably going to spend my life with. We put all their pictures on Instagram and now we feel like we have to stay with them. That's not the case. Um, you have every opportunity to change your mind until you say the words, I do. Um, and so I would say continue to analyze, don't necessarily over-scrutinize because people have flaws. Um, but just because you think someone is the one right now doesn't mean that they're always going to stay like that. Um, and you need to be constantly evaluating yourself as well. Yeah. I think um, for me personally, um, I realized Charlene was the one um, when she was ready to give up me because I wasn't putting God first. So I knew that for me, that she was the one because she, she knew that Christ was the center. That was it. If I wasn't connected to Christ, she wasn't interested. That actually attracted me to, more, her, me to her even more. There was a situation which arose when um, we actually first started dating. And um, I remember we were sitting on top of this nice hill and I asked her to be my girlfriend. We were out in the countryside. And um, she said, I said to her, oh, now you're my girlfriend. Can I kiss you? And she said, no. I knew in that moment that she was the one. Because, because the Bible says we must guard our hearts and protect ourselves, right? For her, a kiss may lead to other things. So she was willing to deny herself knowing that Christ was her number one. And that helped me to realize that she was my number one. Because it wasn't about me, it was about Christ. So that kind of did it for me. Want to say anything? Maybe. Um, I think when God leads you to somebody, um, like I said, I recognized, even though Clive wasn't my type, um, I recognized um, in him the attributes of somebody that God was leading me to because I've spent time um, with Christ and learning the things through his word that really made my heart resonate. And when I started to talk to Clive, my heart started to resonate in those same ways. And I enjoyed my time with God. I enjoyed that devotional time. I, I like the security of a Christ-like relationship. I like being with somebody that no matter what I do, they're not going to leave me. That's Christ. Not just for me, but for each and every one of us. And then meeting somebody who had a similar heart um, in that sense. I, I, I know that no matter what I do, Clive's not going to leave me. And I, characteristics I learned in the off our wedding um was it two months before we were getting married yeah. or was it three months before our wedding invites were sent out wedding purchased you've made decisions that are making you not the person that i want to stay with just because Mic check. Created to God and
All right, we're having some mic challenges here. Um, is there anyone that can help us with this? All right, thanks. Thank you. Um, second question. I'm, I'm seeing that uh, the order of these questions are changing quite quickly, so keep liking them so we can get through the ones that you guys want to. How do you know if you are being too picky? Let's start from the other side this time. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know if you can really know if you're being too picky. Um, it's all, for me, I think it's retrospect. Because I, like my wife, had a vision of who I thought um, the type of uh, woman I wanted as my eventual wife. So uh, sometimes my, when I was in college, sometimes my uh, friends and I, my gentleman friends and I would have a kind of a rating scale. You know, you've probably had that before. It's really not a good thing, but we kind of did that on our um, idle moments, I guess you could say. Uh, but even with that, you see how your friends have different priorities. Um, I think that when I first met Melanie, um, she didn't match all my highest priorities that I thought I needed. So in a sense, I kind of picked her out as not being, uh, that I would be compatible with at first, but it was so superficial at the time. Um, we met actually as student missionaries, so we worked together for a whole year. And it was during that year that I got to know her more and more and realized, you know, I don't really know what I need. Only the Lord knows what I need. Um, so, not good with those rating skills. How do you know if you're being too picky? Um, I think that the key to when you're evaluating a potential mate is that you are surrendered. So you have to surrender what um, criterias you're looking at. There are some obvious criteria that are biblical, so obviously those are non-negotiables, those are given. Um, some of the other ones that are more, there's the needs and then there are the wants kind of thing. Um, you have to reevaluate what are these wants and really how important are these wants um, that, and where do they fit biblically? Because you could be eliminating opportunities that the Lord has for you because in your mind, you have put some of these wants above what needs to happen in a healthy relationship or what the biblical principles or ingredients for a healthy relationship are. So how do you know if you're being too picky? I would say um, talk, to your, talk to your parents. Um, talk to your friends. Talk to others who have gone before you and have marriages that um, you admire and, and have some introspection of where are my thoughts coming from? What, what is actually impacting how I view um, the people around me and the potential you know, males or females that you might be interested in? And because you may not realize that you're being picky. And so you need to have someone maybe um, you know, dialogue with you. So I think having the wisdom of others, especially your parents who've known you all your life, um, would be a great tool to really understand where you're at in terms of um, evaluating how you're deciding.
I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, I would say that if you are asking the question like, am I too picky? You probably are. <laughs> like if you're actually getting to the point where you're like, okay, so I've been like saying no to this person and no to that person and completely not even thinking about that person. And then you sit down one day and you're like, am I being too picky? Maybe. But there are obviously like, Melanie said some things that are non-negotiables and those things are not being picky. So you also have to define for yourself what picky actually means. So in a sense, as, as Christians, as you know, um, Bible-believing Christians, we are picky. We have picky standards already, but then we also need to ask ourselves what are certain things that we're actually going a bit too far with when it comes to being picky. And this is not a guarantee that you are picky or it doesn't cut, tick all of the picky boxes, but I think if you have um, standards and there's things on your list that you yourself are not willing to be, then you're being way too picky. You know, if you want a 10 out of 10, are you a 10 out of 10? Hmm. Uh, you know, if you, <laughs> you want a PhD, do you have a PhD? You know, you want them to have a certain income, are you willing to work for that income? Um, you need to, you need to be, I, I would be a lot more picky about myself and make sure that I'm reaching where God wants me to be. Um, and then I'll have a greater understanding maybe of, of what God wants to then bring into my life or whose life he wants to bring me into. So I'd start being picky with yourselves. So how do I know that marriage is for me? What gets you to the point of deciding that you should be married? Whichever one. It probably is. Um. <laughs> if you're asking the question, it probably is. <laughs> Statistically speaking, it probably is for you. Um, I would say that... And I, I, I'd qualify that answer by saying that I don't think there's a better way to prepare someone for heaven than marriage. And so if heaven is your goal, then marriage is likely, and I say likely, on God's list of things that he's going to bring into your life to try and ensure that you're actually going to get there. Mm. Um, in the almost six years that we've been married, I've seen just as, um, as Mrs. Keon has said that um, it's all about your character. And when God brings you into a marriage, he's bringing you into that marriage to work on you and to work on your spouse's character in the hope that you will actually make it to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in being in heaven and having that close of a relationship with Christ, um, this is a good way to test the waters and have that close relationship uh, with someone and see, see how well that goes. That's not to say if your marriage breaks down, you're not going to heaven. Um, but I just think it's a good indicator and it's a good... Um, it's, a, it's, it's a blessing, it's, it's a major blessing, um, and I know that God is using it uh, to get me where I need to be in life. Agreed. I just have one question. Do any of you know someone or are that person that have said, I am never getting married? Put by a show of hands. Okay, so usually those types of people are the ones that get married first, okay? So there's this thing where like you put this wall up, you're like, I'm never getting married, and then you do. 
the same thing happened to my sister. She's right there with her husband, just saying. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out. When this question that people have, is marriage really for me? Is marriage really for me? How about you just, just go on with your life without making promises? And don't, don't say, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. And just let God lead. Mm -hmm. Let him lead in wherever you're going. <coughs> I just want to um, resonate again with what Dean said about um, it's a blessing. And why wouldn't any of us want to be part of a blessing if that's a blessing the Lord wants to give to you? Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily, you know, um, something that you want to deny God or yourself or that person that the Lord would want you to have. So I think is marriage for you. I think it's a blessing that the Lord would like to give to many people unless they are very convicted that they really want to live 100% and they feel like they can't or they don't want to be distracted by um, a relationship and they want to give 100% and there are some people who have successfully done that. But I think um, when we look at the six days of creation, we see that that was definitely one blessing that he does want to give to everybody. I think our Lord is a Lord of fulfillment. He wants us to be satisfied in him. And I think if, that, if his direction for your life is to be one of marriage, then that is one of a path of training. I, I, I truly believe what Dean also said. It is a, um, it is a path to, to know more of his love through his instituted marriage. Um, but it, if, if the Lord chooses your path or directs your path not toward marriage, I think that his plans for you are going to be just as fulfilling, if yeah. not more so for you. And that mission will become, he will become your spouse in that mission. Uh, very intimately, I believe. Okay. So how do you get to know someone before dating without seeming flirty or too thirsty? Thirsty. Thirsty, that's a good word. That's an interesting, interesting word. word. Thirsty, whoever wrote that, thirsty. Okay, descriptive. <laughs> Okay, um, <clears throat> I think as Mike mentioned, we met as student missionaries in Japan, and I had just come, before I left to go to Japan, I had just um, come from a very um, bad breakup. And so I had decided, Lord, this is your year. I want you to have all of me. And um, I don't want to be distracted. And so the basis of my relationships with all the other student missionaries was as co-workers and friendship and working together side by side <coughs> with the same intent. And I think when you do that, at least in our personal relationship, I found that when you are real that way and yourself and you're focused on what the Lord is asking you to do, no one's ever gonna question whether you're flirting or not. Because you're getting to know one, each, one another as you're working side by side. You're doing that. And, and as you're doing that, there are things that are going to pop into your head in terms of character, and that character could be just based on friendships, or it could be, that's a character trait I would like to have in somebody that I would want to spend with the rest of my life. Not necessarily that's the person. So you begin to ask yourself and look at those things without necessarily looking at, okay, that's the one. Because your intent, when you are out there serving the Lord, if your intent is that solely, then 
you will, it'll become organic. At least for us, that's how it was. We got to know each other, and as we got to know each other working side by side, we began to respect and admire the traits we saw in each other. Mm. And we continued to get to know each other throughout that year without any um, motives, per se. Um, we were there for the same motives. And it wasn't until after our year that things kind of went a different direction. I think if you are finding that you're having to put on this like extra show of, please notice me, hello, um, then you probably are being a little bit too excessive. If it's not natural and like what you said, like organic, it flows. If it doesn't, if it doesn't just naturally just overflow out of the person that you are, you're putting on a show and you're forcing it, I think. You shouldn't have to, what's the word? Volumize parts of your personality just to be noticed. If they can't notice the little nuances of who you are, then it's, they're not ready to see you for who you are because you're then becoming somebody that you're not. And then the pressure is on you to keep sustaining that facade. And if you do eventually get married or something, people are like, I got married to this person, and they suddenly changed. It's like, no, they actually just thought, right, I just don't need to try anymore. I can let down my God. And then that's who they actually really are. It's not who they are. I think the danger that comes now, a lot of our getting to know each other is on social media, and, and it's kind of, it's not in face-to-face -face in, in the same ways that it necessarily used to be. And you can be whoever you want to be online. I could literally be any person I want to online, and you won't know. Um, and that's the danger of being able to get to know somebody. I think another, there's another question that kind of links to that. If you're going to do like online dating or different things like that, I think it only works if you truly covenant to be your true authentic self. And there's also the, the question if the other person that's out there, are they being their true authentic self? I think whenever you're trying to interact with people, if you're having to put on a facade and you have to be super flirty, like, oh my goodness, are you so great, all of this, it's, it's being contrived. You're not being who God has made you to be. And I think the confidence to be who you are comes by spending time with Christ and realizing just how precious you are and how unique you are. You don't have to be anybody else. You don't have to put on airs and graces um, to attract the right person because that's not how God works. He reveals himself in, in vastly different ways. It's not a contrived situation. So if you feel that you are being thirsty, <laughs> then um, perhaps you should drink at the fountain of Christ before you try and search for someone else. <laughs> All right, next question. Boundaries. How far is too far? We have, we have some seats at the front as well for those of you that are standing at the back. If you'd like to sit down, we do have seats. Don't be shy. We um, don't bite. The question again, sorry. Boundaries? Boundaries. How far is too far? I mean, the easy answer is, you know, the Bible gives principles and therefore just stick within those. But some things are kind of gray sometimes. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that you thou sh shalt not kiss before wedlock or anything like that. Um, but the, sometimes we, we excuse our behavior by the fact that there isn't a specific thus saith the Lord on that issue. 
But the Bible will always give principles. Um, and it's, it, the thus saith the Lord is in those principles and in you correctly interpreting those principles. So when it says that you should not awaken love before it's time, um, that's a principle. That, that's, that's not a direct, therefore you cannot do this. That's God saying, here, here, here's my word. Now you need to take this and understand it in your own context. So for some of you, you might be awakening love before it's time by holding hands. For some people, that's a big no-no. I'm not going to hold hands until I'm married. That's, that, that's you. That's something you need to be comfortable with. For some people, the line is kissing. For some people, uh, the line might be beyond that. I don't know. Um, but I would say don't act just on the fact that you might not see something black and white in Scripture. Take God's Word as a whole and apply those principles to your life honestly. Do it honestly. Don't look for a way out. Um, I think it's always better um, to have the line, your line, be closer than it actually is. It's better to be safe uh, than to be extraordinarily sorry um, and to be playing catch up for the rest of your life with bad decisions that you made because there was a line, you just chose to ignore it. Uh, so it's very hard to give specifics on this kind of question. And so that's where it takes your understanding of the word and your understanding of God and his character. Okay, so the experience that Dean and I had was one that um, when we first got together, there were kind, there were some boundaries, but there weren't, you know, I don't know, depending on what you guys see your boundary, your line is. But for us, there were some boundaries, but not all boundaries. So when we first got together in our relationship, we would kiss, right? And it got to, but... I feel like that kind of was more parallel to how our spiritual experience was with God. And there was this point in our relationship where we ended up going to this evangelism school and, and you know, taking, doing training there. And we spent hours and hours doing Bible studies and uh, going, doing evangelism and stuff like that. And so previously <coughs> our boundary was there. And uh, to the point where we went to the evangelism school, we had set another boundary to not kiss at all. And so, what I would say, you need to see how, again, how God is leading you in your life and how your convictions are. Sometimes you, you may enter into a relationship where you think you know your boundaries and then you realize, actually, no, I need to set the, the, the bar higher. Mm. I need to do this in order to keep myself and the person next to me safe. Does that make sense? So, I... It's hard to say, do this, don't do that. It's up to your personal experience, but you also, like what Dean said, I think it's better to be safe than sorry. I agree with that, and my advice would be set your boundaries before you get in the relationship. Mm. Um, because once you get in the relationship, everything gets very cloudy and foggy and misty, and, and the person looks you know, like an angel. Um, and then that's a very dangerous time to start setting boundaries so if you're not in a relationship now's the right time to set those boundaries and don't let someone come into your life and shift your boundaries uh, because then you've given them way too access way too, way too much access way too soon so as i'm listening here it's easy to think of boundaries as like the physical boundaries but um, for those of you who heard the, the five love languages, you know, we each resonate with a certain type of love language. And so 
I want to just generalize here, but for females, it might be the, the time and the opening of the heart that really they, they interpret as love, and that's what gets them going, and that's what gets them into a deeper sense of love, where for the male, it could be the, the, the touch, and that's where they're at. So now you've got two different types of love languages going on, but the boundaries for them are all, they're both very different. Mm -hmm. So I think one, you have to really understand who you are, your experiences, and, and how does that relate to your character? Because when it comes to relationships, especially as you're moving into different phases of a relationship, um, boundaries will change because you're first just getting to know each other, and maybe the boundaries is time. How much time do we spend when we're just starting to get to know each other, especially when a love language to one person may be time. And that's expressing to them, I really love you, yet that might not be what you're really wanting to express. So um, really taking the time to evaluate who each other is and, and how they interpret their love language is important. And then from there decide, okay, this is what's gonna touch my heart, and so I need to know when I need to guard it. And you need to take responsibility for your heart as well as the other person's heart as you set these boundaries and understand all the different factors, because the factors are your own family dynamics, your past history, your past experiences, because once you start crossing that emotional, physical, and even the spiritual, you know, spiritual, um, intimacy with one another also can really draw you and fog things up with other aspects of the relationship. So you need to pace yourself as you are going through these stages of a relationship and look at all those aspects of boundaries, not just the physical, because it's more than just the physical. Mm -hmm. I just add a short thing. Always seek counsel um, with a trusted, godly couple that you may admire or with a godly friend, because when, even if, whether you're already together or whether you're thinking about someone or whether you're just thinking, how do I prepare, uh, any of those times would be an appropriate time to uh, speak with a willing, godly friend. Uh, because sometimes when we're in that thought of already a vision of another person in our mind, uh, a lot of times our perspectives start changing and those borders start changing. Uh, and it's sometimes good to have somebody that would, that would honestly ground you and say, hey, you know, what's the whole situation here and be real with you about that. Okay, following on from that, um, I have been struggling with establishing boundaries with the opposite sex. How can I do this in a godly way? So I think a Bible text that um, resonates with everything that everyone's been saying, which kind of ties the two questions together is... Um, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. It's very easy to look at the boundaries that other people set, like Dean mentioned, that for some people, holding hands is a problem. I think anything that's going to awaken love before it's time, anything that's going to lead your mind to like wanting further kind of intimacies before marriage... Those are the things that you should steer away from. For some people, holding hands does that. Their mind's just... And it's not, it's not a bad thing. That's just their trigger. I'd say, guard your heart. Don't, don't hold hands. For other people just sitting next to each other with their shoulders pressed together like this, their minds, you know, love is being awakened. It's something that is, is doing that in them. You know how your body feels. If you are doing something, you're in a situation or you've experienced 
situations that are awakening love before their time, you're not in that committed uh, marital situation, don't do it. Kissing is something that obviously there isn't a thou shalt not kiss before um, getting married. But I'd see it as being a very big challenge that you can kiss somebody without your body being awakened. Like biologically, it's designed to react and get going. Those situations very much lead to what we were talking about in our other sessions, to where you start to burn and you eventually can become consumed. You may be able to ride the waves of emotion for, for a time. You may think my boundary's okay, I'm in control. But when you start to awaken love before it's time, why is that counsel given? Is it that we're not supposed to awaken love like at all? Is it supposed to just, is there only a certain time and place for it? I, I believe yes. Because if you awaken it in a sphere where it cannot play itself out in a very safe and a, a trusted environment where you've got commitment through marriage, you're giving of your most intimate self that holy of holy place and you'll burn and it will die out because there isn't that foundation, that marital sphere that gives it that, that, that safety. So I'd say if you're struggling to, to um, establish boundaries, you need to take a step back so that you have the space to breathe, pray, get back in communication with God because he will allow you to establish that veil that we spoke about. Each and every person's veil is going to be erected in different ways. There's certain things that you're going to need to guard more so because you're all individual. So I'd say take a step back, pray about it, and read through those passages. Um, Proverbs 4.23 especially. Okay. Next question. Is it true how a guy treats his mother is how he's going to treat his wife? Um, Not always. Um, It's, again, it's too easy to just make these blanket statements Mm -hmm. and just come out and just start judging everyone because of how they are with their mom. Um, you know, is, there's, there's, there's a belief that, you know, whoever the mother is, that's who the daughter is. So do you like that? Probably not. Um, so, and maybe you do, and that's great. But if you don't, you're in trouble. Um, so I think that some of these things can be good indicators. Like if a guy is really disrespectful to his mother or a, um, a, a lady is very disrespectful to her father, um, I wouldn't even think, oh yeah, they're gonna be like that to me. I'm, I wouldn't even wanna be near them. I would just be like, it wouldn't even get to the point of what they're gonna be like to me. I'm like, why, why, are, you so, why are you so that, you know? Um, it can be a good indicator at times, but not everyone has a good relationship with their parents. That doesn't mean they're not gonna have a good relationship with their spouse. And on a personal level, I have an, a, a somewhat good relationship with my mom. That doesn't mean I have a somewhat good relationship with my wife. Uh, my mom and I have been through things that we're still learning and still going through things that my wife and I haven't been through. And we've been through things that I haven't been through with my mom. And so there's not always a direct correlation. Um, so I wouldn't be so quick to judge someone on their parents or how their relationship is with their parents um, 100% of the time. But I think it can be a good indicator at times. Look at it, look at it from the positive standpoint. If, if a young man 
is very respectful and polite and loving to his mother, that's a good indicator that he will be that to you, the same way if a, if a young lady is like that to her father. But if it's not so great, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. answered it yeah, good so um it says here how do you deal with negative input from people outside your relationship especially family and close friends how do you deal with negative input from people outside your relationship especially family and close friends So, I mean, it, it kind of depends what context you're asking the question in. So, are you in a relationship that your parents really, really disagree with? Uh, if, it's, if it's that way, should we, go, should we go that way? Or what? I don't know. Well, I can... We, it was kind of hard because my parents love Dean and my sister loves Dean, so, yeah. Anyways, they're never used to. So, at first, my mom absolutely hated him. And how did I take that? Um. You married him. All right, so on that point, um, I wasn't an Adventist, obviously, when we got together, and her mom didn't like that. And her mom actually, how about this? Her mom had a checklist for her daughter. Um, and if you don't think your parents have one of those for you, you're absolutely wrong. Um, she had a checklist for her daughter, and I, t I, I destroyed the checklist. I didn't even tick the boxes. And um, so how did I deal with that? I knew that to have their blessing for to be with their daughter, I needed to win them. Um, I needed to win their hearts as much as I needed to win my girlfriend's heart. And so um, I took every opportunity that I could to show them that I wasn't actually what they thought I was. So any, and I, and I mean, I was like over the top. Like, we, we had this thing, remember when the London riots happened? So the London riots happened, like, in South London, and Dorling's parents live in North London. Nothing really happened in, in Northwest London, just a few, a few stores got uh, burgled. But in South London, like, the whole place just got terrorized. So I went way over the top and went to her parents' house and left them a note and say, listen, you guys need to be careful because bad things are happening in London. And I left them like a, a little gift and, and told them to call me if they needed help. Nothing was gonna happen to them, nothing. Um, but I, I wanted them to know that I cared and that I was like, I was not some loser guy. Um, and so I knew I had to win them. And sometimes if the people that you're concerned about outside the relationship are close to you, you have to kind of show them who the person is. Sometimes, and this is not a, I, I wouldn't be able to put a ratio or a percentage on this, sometimes they're right. Sometimes they can see things that you can't see things. This goes back to the point about uh, getting counseling. Sometimes your friends and your family members, your parents sometimes can see what you can't because they're not clouded by love in the same way that you are. Sometimes uh, love can at least at the beginning be blinding and so, Having an, a perspective outside of your own isn't the worst thing, but also there is, the, the more a relationship progresses, the more this circle tightens, and the less people are allowed into that area. 
Um, and so, right now, if my family had a problem with my relationship with Dorling, I couldn't care less uh, because this is our relationship and we're doing this the way that we think God wants us to do this. And if there's people on the outside that don't like that, sorry, you're almost six years too late. Um, so it's good if you're not, if you haven't taken that step, it's good that you have um, people. But that doesn't mean that everything that they're saying is right or that you need to listen to everything. Um, this relationship is primarily between the two of you and the Lord. So if there's a lot of negative influences, deal with them the best way that you can and get on with your life. I think what I was trying to get to was just um, whatever the concern may be and whatever the advice may be, even though you may not agree with it, just be respectful of family, friends, whoever it is. Um, you're in, in certain situations, especially if uh, your family doesn't agree with the person that you're with, um, sometimes it's actually, sometimes the reason could be, could make no sense. And it's not biblical, it, they don't have a solid reason. It could be as simple as, you know, I don't like the way he walks. I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? And some family members actually do that to the point where they don't have a reason, but they just keep on going like that. But one thing that will make, make it worse is if you start getting... Uh, defensive and rowdy and you know just negative towards your family members sometimes it's just good to just listen okay thank you for telling me cool and just pray about it and sometimes let let God let God do his work so in regards to our relationship at the time I didn't care I couldn't care less about the faith I was just in it because it was what you is what you know right it's what you grow up to know but I didn't, I didn't have any personal relationship with God at the time. And so that's why I felt like there wasn't... That's why I felt like it was fine to be dating Dean. But my mom would, um, would, you know, say certain things. And I would sometimes get riled up about it. And I felt like that didn't help the situation. Sometimes it's just best to... With your family to just not get all defensive with them. That's what I would say. I think that they know you, um, the people that are around you, they're the people closest to you for a reason. You wouldn't be close to them if you, I mean, your, your parents are your parents, but like your friends, you've made those choices to be around them. And if they see that, you know, maybe this relationship is changing you or you're becoming this other person, they see and know who, who you are. Um, and you may not see that you're losing yourself. I had a situation where um, I liked this guy and I spoke to my dad about it and he saw them and he's like oh I don't like his shoes I'm like dad how unbelievably superficial um but my dad is not he, he didn't quite say it in a way that um he said some other things like I didn't like this or the way he's carrying himself it was his way of trying to say to me I don't think he's the right person for you but I totally dismissed him because I thought it was a superficial thing to say and then I went and said the same thing to my mum now my mum is one of these like incredible people that just knows things like she's she just knows so I'd always come to her and be like mom I like this guy she's like oh but he's nice but my mom doesn't say much but when she says the word but it's like oh, that's it game over um so when I came with the same guy that my dad didn't like his shoes she was like he's a very nice guy I think he's he's very nice he's this but then she just said but I don't think he's the person for you I was like what does that mean mom 
And she's like, I know who you are, and it just doesn't seem to work. And I continued to pursue this for a few months, and it turned out that both my parents, parents were right, but the way that they said it to me, I was kind of more, wait, I was kind of watching with a guarded heart because of what my mum said, because the way that she said it to me. So I think just flipping the question like outside on itself, if you're the people that have a problem with your friend's um, relationship, the way that you speak to them and the, the way that you approach them can very much determine how they will take that advice. If you come with like a spiritual reason, my mum's reason was much more character grounded, spiritual grounded, so I kind of took that a bit more seriously. And all of the things that my dad outplayed and I finally worked out what he was trying to say, it was the same thing, but I think the way that we answer these questions or, or, or speak about our concerns, like you're saying, darling, that your mum kind of just blasted you a bit about it, it can kind of get your back up against those things. But bottom line is the people that you have around you that you've chosen to be in your close sphere of influence, they know you for a reason. And I wouldn't, it would be really silly just to completely lock them off your whole support group just for this other one person. What can they see that you can't see? Um, so I think that it's, it's wise to kind of appreciate what they're saying and to realize that, you know, your family and your people that have known you the longest, they know you and what's going to be good for you. So I wouldn't just dismiss everything because if that relationship breaks down and you end up by yourself, if you've locked off your whole support group, what do you have? They're there for a reason. Um, and I'd say take the time and weigh it up according to God. A lot of times if we've got into situations where our closest people are worried for us, we've probably let go of Christ somewhere along the way. If what they're saying has spiritual grounding. If you were the good godly man and everyone's up against you, well then that's just slightly different. But usually that doesn't happen. Okay. So... Um, we've answered some of those questions. We wanted to talk about, for me, the reason why this topic came up when we thought about this, this seminar was, growing up in church, like I said, I had a super disillusioned idea of what I thought, um, like, you know, the chances of being happy in marriage were, because I didn't know any marriage in my life that I could look at and be like, I want to emulate this. I knew I wanted to be married to a good godly man. I wanted to be happy. But divorce or just unhappiness just seemed to be the pattern that I could see. And I kind of approached marriage with this, this tick list of what not to do or how not to be. And I didn't have this, a place where I felt like I could go to talk to somebody about what it meant to have a good Christian marriage. What does it mean to be a good Christian wife? So I approached my wedding day, you know, you've got the wedding night, you've got the whole nine yards. And what did I go and do? Where did I go? I went on forums to be like, well, what happens? What am I supposed to do now? Because it's like, I didn't know who I could go to um, to find good spiritual counsel. And I had fears approaching marriage, fears of whether or not, you know, this is the right thing to do. And I just wanted us to talk and share, like, obviously we've made that decision to enter into marriage together. We've all had, we've had our relationship journey what brings you to the, what was the, the fears that you found that you had entering marriage and how did they outplay themselves as you developed in your marital relationship? So you have the idea of marriage before. Um, so let's think of an example. For me, I had a fear of um, communication and being the person that says sorry. Um, 
I don't say sorry. I'm always right. Um, so <laughs> that's the kind of view that I had. And I always wondered how um, I had a fear of conflict resolution. It was either if I disagree, I would just. She's always right. <laughs> I'm not always right. Um, I just keep quiet about it. Um, and that was a fear for me. And that kind of outplayed itself in marriage in a very, um, I don't know, negative way. Did you guys find that you had issues with how you thought you'd be a communicator post-marriage? How did that work? How did you get past that communication kind of thing? Uh, I, my background is I came from a broken family. So I had a fear going into marriage of, will this last? And um, there was fears of infidelity that I had seen in friends and places where I worked, and so there was that fear there. And so I would act out in ways, but not really expressing what that fear was. And so we went through a journey where I had to really come to terms with what this is that I'm afraid of, and to be able to communicate that to Mike and to surrender to the Lord because he can't really fix that for me. There are things he can do to help me keep safe, but if I have this, um, um, this internal fear that is really just a deception of my own mind of things I've, that I have experienced, um, only I can deal with that. Only the Lord can help me deal with that. So that was something that at the beginning of our marriage that I didn't realize I brought into the marriage. And he didn't know I was bringing him to the marriage. So as we work through that, this is where our communication was challenged. He had to learn how to communicate security to me, and I needed to learn to share with him and have faith in what he was saying and doing was real and that I didn't always question everything. And so a lot of that just came with the Lord having to heal me and teaching me how to communicate and communicate effectively and to trust, mm. you know, that, that, that he's going to be faithful because he made those vows on that day. Okay, um, I didn't specifically had fears about communication per se. I had... Um, my biggest fears before marriage were expectations. Mm. So what is going to be expected of me? So I grew up in a household where my mom has dinner ready for my dad as soon as he comes home from work. And she washes up, she does everything. And they're both happy with that. Um, and it's something that I told myself I was willing to do, but in my head I'm like, it's tiring, like this is hard, you know? And I remember I was 19 when we got engaged, so I was like, I don't wanna do this, like this is a lot. That's how I felt, so expectations. And then also, before we got married, Dean had told me that he felt called to go in into ministry. One of the things I had told myself I would never do is marry a pastor <laughs> or a preacher. Like I was like, Lord, you better not. <laughs> and then it happened. And so these, I had fears of meeting, like not being able to meet certain expectations for him as a wife and also just for myself, reaching certain goals. And one thing that I think helped us 
so much and I'm forever going to be grateful for is we had premarital counseling for eight months before we got married. Mm -hmm. So one, once a month for, you know, eight months until we got married, we had, it was one to two hour session with one of the pastors in England, a pastor that we loved and he was just amazing and he had a great family and so we were like, yeah, we want to do it with you. And those counseling sessions that we had as a couple, it was amazing and it just, I feel like it was the foundation for our marriage and it, it helped take away a lot of my fears. So what I would say is, please, please, if you're going to get married, <coughs> go to someone that you can trust. You know, I would say preferably a pastor that you really like or, or, or maybe an evangelist or someone that has a family that you just love and they're godly and go to them and just seek counsel for your relationship. For me, I don't understand. For me, it doesn't make sense that people go for marriage counseling when they're already married. Like, wait, so you're after the counseling, you're gonna decide whether you're gonna stick together or not? Like, that doesn't make sense. But if you take, if you do marriage counseling before, then you still have the option of, do I wanna stick with this person or do I wanna leave? So that's something that really helped me with any fears that I had going into marriage. And I think what, what Dolly means about the counseling part is, you know, the counseling whether you're going to stay in the relationship. Sometimes if you're in a marriage, getting marriage counseling to help you in the marriage is, is still a very good option. Mm -hmm. My fear before marriage, I was trying to think of it, um, or think if I had one, is actually still my fear now, almost six years into marriage, um, which is children. Um, that's still a fear for me now. My family know, um, you know, out of, I would say, at least between the two of us, uh, I'm the one that wants children more right now. Uh, we, just, we, we made a, a promise to, to God that we weren't going to have children uh, until I finish my studies at least because that would be crazy. But um, when, I, when I think about it, it still scares me a lot because you're making another one of you. And if that doesn't scare you, I don't think you know yourself well enough. <laughs> so that's something that I'm still coming to grips with. Like there's times when Dolan will point something out to me and I'm like, if I saw that in someone else, it would drive me crazy. And if I saw that in my own child, it would drive me even crazier because I'm the reason why they're like that. And so uh, that's actually still a big fear of mine and something that I'm still praying to the Lord about to help me kind of overcome because, you know, I, regardless that my child is going to be part of me and I kind of just need to get over that but it's, it's, if, I'm being, if I'm being honest it's, it's still a fear that idea of bringing children into the world that are going to reflect at least at the beginning stages my not so good parts mm -hmm. uh, that freaks me out we don't have children it gives you another dimension like we've got a six year old and a four year old and there's so many things that you see, it's like, Lord, why didn't I just surrender that before it became DNA in another child? Like, <laughs> but the thing is that what happens with marriage is that um, you start to see yourself more, just the two of you. You see aspects of your character that you realize, you know what, there was no way I was making it to the kingdom unless I was married to this guy. Mm. And that's what God wants. Like Paul says, you know, if you can stay like me, you know, be celibate and just not get married and just do the work, do the work. But if you're going to get married, 
you have to realize that I said in the previous session that those nice clothes that you wear that wedding day, that is like the feast that old um, generals and em emperors used to do before they took their army to war. They used to give a massive feast and there was loads of food, there was loads of stuff because they're giving you know, all the last pleasures before they went out to battle where you would be denied a lot of things. And I've started to see the wedding day as that feast and that celebration before you go off to war. You're going off to war with your character and all of the negative aspects of who you are. So if you're not ready to see yourself, you're not ready for marriage. And when you finally do get into that situation and you see who you are, if you've not surrendered to Christ in your single life, you're not going to be prepared to give up those things because Christ is about sacrifice in the marriage. Mm -hmm. All of those fears that, that we may have beforehand, I had a fear of, of getting to, to the other side of marriage and realizing I made a mistake. And I know there's a, part, a, a, a passage in Messages to Young People, I think it says, where... Something along the lines of you should never um, say the words of, you know, I regret the day that I married you or something. We should never look upon the day of our union with somebody and regret it. But then I got to the situation where, I don't know, a couple of weeks, weeks in, I was like, what did I do? Up to that point, I 100% believe that God had led us in, in this, this union, but I was sat there crying my eyes out like this was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life and I can't take it back. What do you do? And I think a lot of those things came because of my view and ideas of what marriage should be because of what I saw from Walt Disney or the movies or different things. But I think what I've appreciated in many of the discussions that we've had even through parenting and just... <laughs> chilling at home, talking. And what we do in our home is that we have very open discussions about the realities of marriage. It's not Walt Disney. You don't walk off into the sunset with your nice, pretty dress and your slippers on and you know, live this perfect, perfect existence. Marriage is not just for happiness, it's for holiness. And God is going to be shaping you and molding you and rubbing you up against this person to chisel off all of those negative things. Somebody asked me if this book was just for you know, single people, but it's not. It's 100% for marriage as well because you will have to revisit all of these checkpoints continually through your marriage and through that close relationship so that you make sure that the things that you're giving up on your altar are the negative aspects of your character. Your spouse is there to help you get closer to Christ. It's there to um, experience the fullness of that, that relationship that God wants to have with us throughout eternity. Our homes are supposed to be um, little heavens on, on earth, right? And it absolutely can be that, right? When it's good, it's incredible. And the, the, the beauty of going to war is that you have the opportunity for victory. Like if you constantly are fighting through life together, when you have that coming home and you realize that I've won the battle, it's the most euphoric experience. And that's why marriage is amazing. But if you go to battle and you don't have the right tools, you go out and you don't have a sword, you don't have a shield. You're just like, I'm going to go out to war. No, you're not ready. If you enter marriage with no tools, that's when you end up having no defenses against what the enemy is going to send your way. He's out to break us up. We can see that in the brokenness of our relationships along the way. And we drag a lot of that into marriage, um, a lot of the hurts and pains, and they outplay themselves in that way too. But Christ is a restorer. And if you have him as your sword and shield, all of the fears that you, you had before marriage, 
they will work it out. And like Dorling was saying, and Dean was saying as well, and everybody was saying, to be honest, seek godly counsel. Do it beforehand. Um, we had the same marriage counselor, the same pastor, and he says, the first session of our marriage counseling, I'm here to break you up. Mm. We're like, what? I thought you were here to, you know, this is the process I need to go to so I can be married. He's like, my job here is to break you two up. And he asked all of the difficult questions, questions that you may not want to ask yourselves together, questions that your parents may feel a bit, you know, maybe they don't want to ask you or your friends. Go to somebody who you know is going to give it to you as it is in Jesus and is not going to allow you to get into a lasting union that's supposed to last for eternity without actually being serious about it. Some of the very foundational things we spoke about in our marriage counselling are the things we fall back on even today. We have a file. I think we lost it in our move. But we're like, in the file it says that you're supposed to do this. You agreed to this. And, it, and he's like, yeah, it's true. Um, it's having, a checklist. <laughs> it's a literal thing. But having somebody input into you before you make that lasting commitment is invaluable. And if you found, like we did, that we just weren't resonating, we were losing each other in our marriage, seek a good Christian counseling as well. We don't mind going to the doctor when something's wrong. We still have such a taboo going when there's something mentally wrong or spiritually wrong. Counseling is invaluable. We wouldn't be standing here today ridiculously happily married, praise God, if we hadn't had somebody externally inputting in a godly way to help us to see each other and Christ again. So um, if you find yourself on a path towards marriage, which I pray all of you guys do, make sure it's seated and grounded in Christ. You can't do it any other way, right? Can't do it any other way. So uh, we're eight minutes over time, so we're going to wrap it up there. I um, just want to say thank you to our panel. I'm going to ask Mr. Keon if he doesn't mind closing off the session with her. Shall we bow our heads? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the blessings and promises you've given to us, including the gift of marriage. Lord, we're here gathered here today to share uh, in this blessing and, and information about this blessing. Lord, I just ask uh, the Holy Spirit to be each one with those uh, with their thoughts and in their situation today, that you may be close to them, send people their way that could give them counseling. And Lord, uh, we pray that they, each of us here in this room will experience more about you. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.